listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can have a seat, open up your Bibles. Ushers are coming forward with kids' packs, Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. They will give you a Bible because we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word so you can not only hear it, but you can see the most amazing book that we ever can own or ever have in our possession, and that is the Word of God. And turn to John chapter 4, John chapter 4. The kids are in the service with us next week. Starts the Hope Kids kickoff. It will begin next week. And the postponement of our baptism and party in the park will be next Sunday, Lord willing. The weather will be nice and sunny and balmy, well, we hope. It is the Okanagan. It should be. You think we are living in, like, you know the lower mainland or something with weather today, you know, but um, so next week we will attempt to see that happen again. And um, so kids packs are being handed out to Occupy Kids and um, and to, and kids make sure you're listening too because these are important truths for you to be listening as you're in big church with us today. And we welcome you all here as we get into God's word here this morning. This morning what we are doing is um, concluding, but con- continuing and then concluding today, a number uh, of, of weeks here now, we have been in this series where we've been talking about certain practices and convictions that we have as followers of Christ uh, that are especially, if you want to say, related or important to us here at Hope Bible Church here in Kelowna. And this has been an important series as we are reminded of some of the core truths of why we do what we do, but also why we believe what we believe, because we believe all of God's word is important, but there are, are certain things that we must take and, and apply into our lives. And, and uh, especially as we come up to our five-year anniversary, uh, the start of October, reason to celebrate. We are alive and kicking after five years, praise the Lord. And he is faithful, and, and, and we are trusting God for immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. To him be the, be the glory. Uh, in the church now and forevermore. But, but, but as we continue on until he returns or calls us home, it is our job to be faithful. And so we want to be a faithful church. We want to be faithful church attenders and participators and, and involved in, in the work of God. And so today, as we end the series, we're going to be looking at another one of our core pillars or one of our core convictions. You'll see it on the banner here. It is lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. And, and this is something that is so important. And sometimes it can be summarized as unashamed adoration. That because of what Jesus Christ has done in our exaltation of him, that we want to be unashamed in in our adoration, in our confession of who he is and all that he has done. And so the scripture reference that goes with this is found in John 4, 24. And this is going to be where we're going to park ourselves for today. And here's the key verse. But then you need to have your Bibles open to see it in context. But in John 4, 24, it says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in in truth. In in order to have authentic and real worship. You see, we can be singing here today and it doesn't necessarily mean that, that, and it could even be moved with emotion in our hearts, but it doesn't mean that this is necessarily authentic or real true worship. But, but Jesus is saying that God is spirit and those who are going to worship him, who are true worshipers, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to look at that here this morning. You see, all kinds of different ideas and images and thoughts, memories uh, or expectations come to mind when we think of the word worship. And so this week, just for fun, I thought I would Google the word worship and hit Google images. And here's what you come up with. And so, so, so here's what uh, Mr. or Mrs. or whoever Google is came up with here to to, to refer or to, to let us know what, what Google thinks of the word worship and, and the exaltation. Ultimately, you see very worshipful expressions. Well, it's more than what we may do here on a Sunday morning or what we may see there on the screen. Now, hundreds and thousands of books have been written on the subject of worship. Classes and seminars and degrees have been taught and and received on behalf of students and teachers. Millions of sermons have been preached on worship. Worship wars have been won and have been lost in churches causing deep division, hurt, and confusion. Now, one sermon can't simply just cover the whole gamut here this morning, what worship is, and dig into it, and nor are we going to try to be really aggressive and try really hard. But what we are going to do are cover, uh, Lord willing here this morning, some of the core essentials of worship. 
Core essentials of worship. Encourage you to write this down, and there's going to be three points that go along with this, and encourage you to take this and to, to, to think about this throughout the week and study this passage and allow God's word to work in your life as, as you continue from Sunday morning to allow God's word to God's word to take and to shape your mind and your thinking. You see, worship, we've all been created to worship. And today, whether or not you moved your lips. Whether or not there's a little bit of a beat in your extra beat in your heart because of what we are doing, you're a worshiper. All of us are worshipers. God has made every one of us into worship beings. The word worship means to ascribe worth. Or another even kind of definition of it is kiss towards. And it came from the ancient custom of bowing and kissing the hand of the emperor or someone who was important. And so you would, you would ascribe worth to that person by bowing, by, by kissing the hand, by showing that reverence and that respect. And that's what the word worship oftentimes can come to mean. And, and, and we're all worshipers. Not a soul on this earth that is not wired, that is hardwired for worship, and you can't change it. We're all worshiping something or someone. We're all worshipers. But the question is, who is the object of the worship? Who is it that we are truly worshiping? You see, not even every believer in Christ is necessarily worshiping God necessarily today. You may be here, you may have know Christ in a personal way, you, you, you've been walking with him for years, but your, your worship today, the movement of your lips and what was coming out of your, your mouth may not necessarily have been true worship in God's eyes. may look like it, may sound like it. You yeah, sound like me, you don't sound like anything at all. But, you know, nothing special to, to those around me. And, and uh, that's why I always try to make sure my mic is always off so that you never have to hear me sing. Or with the worship band has these in-ears and uh, they can actually hear me. But I understand most of them turn me off because they do not want to hear me singing, nor do you. And just because I can't sing, though, doesn't mean that I cannot worship. One day I'll sing. It's going to be so awesome. Uh, I can't wait. Sound good in singing. Anyways, uh, to continue on, that's just more too much about me, and uh, or some of you already know that about me, and because and, you've stood beside me as we've been worshiping, but I wonder today, are you a true worshiper? You see, Romans 1 tells us, because of sin, and we're all sinners, that we have all been given over to sinful passions. And, and because of that, we've exchanged the worship of God, our creator. That's how we're hardwired. We, we're actually wired to worship and wired to worship God. But because of sin, sin has messed that up. And instead of worshiping God, the creator, we are worshiping the creation. And there's pride in our heart or stubbornness or, or blindness where we are not worshiping the God of all creation. Sin has caused us to invert our worship and our worship lands on the creation, on people, on things, on ourselves and not the creator God. We worship all kinds of things, whether that be sports, career, work, hobbies, food, drink, clothing, uh, our bodies, our uh, sexuality, money, our kids, our reputation, the approval of others, and the list goes on. We can even worship worship. You ever think about that? That we can worship worship and in a way that is actually not glorifying to God, that we have set worship above the, the creator God. That we worship a moment, we worship a song, and not the giver of the life of that song. It's nothing wrong with enjoying a song and giving God thanks for a song, but ultimately we are to worship God, the creator. Perhaps an indicator for you, a self-test that you could do this week, or maybe you would even know it right away, uh, that, that may give some understanding, some, some insight into what it is that you might worship first and foremost in your life is... Where do your empty, kind of just lazy-daisy thoughts go throughout the day? What is it that you are thinking of most often? Where does your mind go when perhaps you wake up or late at night or when before you fall asleep or in that lazy kind of thought period through the day when you're not consumed with children or work or with shopping or with this or that or another thing? Where, where do your thoughts go? And, and what kind of thoughts are they? Are they thoughts towards God or is it thoughts towards yourself or thoughts towards others or towards things you see the most important worship is to go to God our creator 
And, and one of the things, the most important worship war that we may very well face and that we are fighting, even on a daily basis, is not music style or song selection or volume or beat or drums or no drums or song too fast, too slow, too loud, too high. You know, is it a hymn? Is it a chorus? You know, and it, it's more who has the affection of our heart. That's where the real war is. And God wants to rightly re reorientate us back to the full-out worship of Him ultimately. Because when we worship Him as true worshipers, when we see God rightly for who He is, nothing else will ever satisfy. We will try to fill our lives with all kinds of stuff, thinking if I just get this, and there will be temporary satisfaction, there will be temporary joy and laughter and feel good, and ooh, these huggy moments that we have in life, but it won't satisfy. The full and true, only heart-filling satisfaction that we can find is found from God and from Him alone. Amen. And yet we search and we dig and we try so many other things because we're prideful because of our flesh. We've been made, wired for a relationship with God and until we have that, we won't be truly satisfied. To experience the true power of God in our lives, we have to be true worshipers of God. You say, does that just mean singing on a Sunday morning? Oh no, it's so much more than singing on a Sunday morning. But it is, does involve singing on a Sunday morning, no matter how awful you sound, or how wonderful you sound. And, and, and if you do sound wonderful, don't become proud about it either too, okay? Because then that's a whole other issue that has to get taken up, because that's going to affect your worship for God when you think, oh, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> We're just messed up people, aren't we? Yeah, well, at least I am. Maybe you're not. You've got it all together. And maybe I should just preach to myself and the rest of you could leave. But I think I'm in good company. You see, the worship that we're talking about today is more than five songs on a Sunday or our favorite playlist on Apple Music or on Spotify where we lift our voices to God and where we, we can even have just special moments with God and tears running down our face or arms lifted up or whatever it might be and just God meeting us. That's a narrow, that's a good, but that's a very narrow focused view of worship. What we're talking today is the narrow view, but also the broad view and the broad, the wide view of worship is to be applied to all of our lives in whatever it is that we do. Whether wherever it is that we go, we can worship God. Romans 12 talks about offering ourselves daily to God as living sacrifices. And it goes on to say, that is your spiritual act of worship. Worship isn't about having to listen to a worship song or sing a worship song every day and have your little worship time. It is surrendering. It's giving ourselves to God on a daily basis and says, God, I am here for your glory, not for mine. God, would you be exalted in my life and not me? This is your spiritual act of worship as we offer ourselves. God, what is it that you would have? I have my plans, my ideas, my agenda for my day, my week, my month, my life. But God, what is it that you would have? For my, for my life today. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13, great verse where we are told whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Ascribe worth to God in everything that we are doing. Worship is, is, is about loving and honoring and knowing and adoring God, who He is. It's about obeying and proclaiming Him as a way of life. And music is just one of those ways, a great way that we can worship God. But what do we do? But what we do here is simply an expression of what should be happening every day in our lives. And we would be worshipers, not just Sunday morning for an hour and a half, but all week long, all throughout the day. And even in those troubling times at night. And so the four, first core essential of worship is to understand why we worship Jesus, why we make, make much of Jesus, why it's lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. And it's because he is God and because he is worthy. Ultimately, just, just short answer, no big long theological words or explanation, just close notes, this is what it's about. We worship Jesus because, put it up there, he is God and he is worthy. John chapter 4 is one of the most pointed teachings that we have in the New Testament about worship. And yet it's kind of interesting because on the surface, when you first read about it, you start thinking, this isn't about worship. This is evangelism. This is where Jesus is engaging and ministering to a sinful woman. 
And here we see in John chapter 4, just to give you some context to know where, we're, where, where we are here in this passage, Jesus has just nicely begun his earthly ministry. He has his disciples. But things are getting a little hot, a little tense in the southern region of Judea, where he is, is, is at where he's been ministering and teaching and they've been baptizing people. And the religious leaders already hatching, devising a plan to eliminate him. Let's take him out. And Jesus says, ooh, it's getting a little hot here. And so Jesus says, you know, let's go to the north country. Let, let's head up to Galilee. It's going to be a little calmer there. And so let's head up there. But in order to get there, from going from the southern region, region of Israel over to the north, you have to pass through Samaria, which is today the, the West Bank area. Not West Bank, like Kelowna area, you know, but, but in the Okanagan. But no, West Bank in the land of Israel, a tense time then, um, a tense time for different reasons today. And so Jesus leaves there. And so we're going to pick this up in verse 3. So follow along. Uh, be looking at your Bibles and, and follow along John chapter 4, verse 3. Because there's something in here. I, if you're an underliner, and I trust you are, um, I want you to underline something in here because it's an awesome word. He left, Jude, left Judea and to, departed for Galilee. And he had, underline that word, had. That is a golden word in the word of God. Who would think the word had? Now, every time you say had, I hope this just really gets you. And you think, man, this word had is an important word. And so, you know, you can say I've been had today. Really lame. I know it's short hours of sleep. So um, anyways, so underline, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town. Sorry. That is a, that is a crazy word. I just started going ahead in my sermon where we're going. It's <laughs> And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. <laughs> I love that. Oh. Woman, give me a drink. Uh, for his <laughs> disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It's okay to read God's word and have a little laughter come and a little sense of humor, just imagining how maybe, at least maybe it's just in my sick mind, I kind of laugh a little bit. Woman. Uh, does anyone's Bible say that actually where it says woman? Anyone? Have a version that says that? Okay. I think there's one that does. I should have read from there today. Give me a drink. Anyways, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see, Jews and Samaritans had the hate on for one another. I mean, this was a hate like no other hate that, that would go around. This had been going on for over 700 years. This was much worse than the hate between Republicans and Democrats or liberals and conservatives or Oilers and Flames fans and Canucks and not winning the Stanley Cup. Oh, sorry, that's not really a comparison. That was just a cheap shot. Um, true, but um, um, maybe in their, what, 50th year? Something, well, probably not. Anyways, um, I mean, some of you now dislike me, and I won't say that bad four-letter word, me, because I just rub some salt in those hurting wounds of the Canuck fans. Anyways, because of this hate, the Jews avoided the region of Samaria. In, in fact, if they were traveling from the north to the south or south to the north, they would often take a detour, cross the Jordan River, go around the area of Jordan, and go up and avoid Samaria altogether. They didn't want to get the dust of their sandals that Samaritans, those evil, sick people, would ever be walking on. They just wanted nothing to do with them. But what did Jesus, what does it say? What did John write? He said, but Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Here he is sending a powerful message of his love and his concern, including his love, his concern, his care for Samaritans, and even more than that, for a sinful, immoral outcast of a woman. You see, we know she was an outcast because of what the story tells us, but also um, just because of some practicality issues here. She's coming to the well all alone. She meets Jesus alone. And it was noontime. This was an odd time. You don't get water at noontime. This identified her as, as, the, as an outcast because that's when outcasts and losers would go to the well. 
And they would go alone. They wouldn't have friends. They wouldn't have anyone to go to. It was an odd time. It was in the heat of the day. You see, in those days, it was woman's work to go and to get water from the well. And, and it, was to, to take, it wasn't to feed all the animals and everything. They had different wells for that. But this was a well to care for the household. And so early in the morning, right around sunset, the women from the community, and, and this was probably the original social media, right? I mean, come on. I mean, they went to get some water and visit and then get some more water and wait and visit and visit and visit. And then, you know, it's kind of like even today, you know, like one lady says, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And, and the other says, oh, I'll go too. And next thing you know, there's, you know, and it becomes a social event. And that's good. We celebrate that. And, and women throughout the centuries, no doubt, have, have not changed in this area. And, and, and this would have been a small, tight-knit community. And, and so they're sharing this well together. And it's a social event to go in the morning to get water from the well for for the uh, for the day for cooking for cleaning for whatever it would be that they would be a part of. But rather in the morning, rather than going early in the morning, this Samaritan woman goes at noon, likely to avoid the stares, the cold shoulders, the whisper, the ridicule that she probably would have faced. But Jesus is there that day as she's coming to get water because what he had to go through Samaria. He was on a mission. Because he knew that that sinful, hurting woman would be there and he had to go. This outcast needed a touch from the Savior. And Jesus asks her for water. Woman, give me a drink. But then he goes on to talk to her in a conversation about spiritual water that would not need to ever be, never need to be sought again. That a thirst of drinking water on a hot day makes you continue, you're continually thirsty. You don't just drink once and then you're done. But he's talking about a water that once you drink it, you will never thirst again. It will satisfy you completely. A spiritual water that would satisfy her from the inside out. A spiritual water that would cleanse her from her sin. A spiritual water that would ultimately, in the end, result in eternal life. And she says, I want that. I want that water. But then Jesus, after kind of baiting her in this and saying, hey, I can offer you some water that you'll never thirst again. And like, I want that. And then he starts to talk to her about something else. He goes on to tell her about her past, her sinful past. Jesus goes on to tell her that he knows that she's had five husbands, and the man that she's currently with, that she is shacked up with, that she's living with, that she's in sexual immorality with, is not her husband. And you see, Jesus, being God in the flesh, knows her past. He knows her present. And he wants to redeem her and change her future. And Jesus, knowing this, did not stop his mission of mercy on that day. He had to go. He was compelled to go. He knew he had to get there. He had to go to Samaria on that day and talk to that woman. In the same way, Jesus knew he had to come to earth to redeem lost people, people like you and me, he had to come. And you see, Jesus, being God in the flesh, knowing all things, he had to come to this earth because it would be the only way that we could find real life and real satisfaction for our souls that would end up resulting in real worship. This past week, we took our son to Saskatchewan for Bible school. And um, it's been a gut-wrenching and difficult week, an experience for us. And some of you said, ah, it's a good thing. You empty nesters now and all this. No, it's, it's weird. And, and, and I couldn't help but think he's exchanging our son his views like this. We took this on the way home. <laughs> for this. This is the top of the hill. Yes, that is a hill in Saskatchewan, <laughs> overlooking the college in the valley there on, on your left. And I remember as we pulled, pulled in and, and made the left-hand turn and went down the hill, um, just that strange kind of weird feeling of this is where he will be. 
and I'm a wreck. Could you imagine God the Father sending his son to this earth, to this sinful, dirty, corrupt earth, and knowing what was going to happen to him, how he would be despised and rejected, and how he would be beaten and torn apart physically and nailed on a cross. And, and not only did he leave the glory, the beauty, the majesty of heaven, he, he was, his relationship, the intimacy between God the Son and God the Father was going to be greatly altered and changed for those 33 and a half years. And Jesus left it all. He, and, and God gave up his son in that way. And he did it. I mean, this is just a mind-blowing reality. Jesus met that outcast, and Jesus will meet us as outcasts as well. And Jesus offered her real life, and Jesus offers us real life, spiritual life, eternal life. What a mind-blowing reality for her on that day. What a mind-blowing for us all here today as well. Knowing that we are all sinful. And, and that sin has caused that separation between us and God. And we look for life. We look for joys and thrills. We look for pleasures. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for all these different things. And something to fill that hunger, that void in our hearts. Never being fully satisfied. Just like a drink of water on a hot day. Constantly, always thirsting. Thirsting, thirsting, thirsting for more. But then Jesus comes. God in the flesh. Second person of the Trinity. Comes to this earth. Living a perfect life. Died a substitutional, sacrificial death on the cross. Taking our sin. Giving us in exchange his righteousness, him taking our unrighteousness, he then conquers sin, he conquers death, rising from the dead in death and grave in victory, and that life is offered to us. And for all who truly believe, you must believe by faith, you must repent, you must turn from your sins, and you believe this by faith, and you receive his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And the moment that that happens, when you make that decision in your heart, I'm done with sin, I'm done with going my way, my agenda, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, what happens in that moment, a heart of stone, a heart that is dead, becomes alive and starts to beat. Our spirit is alive. And he forgives us and he redeems us and he restores us and he promises us eternal life. And the only response to this incredible news is to ascribe our worth to God. Love so amazing, so divine. We are humbled. We are undone. We are blown away by his love, by his grace and his mercy. Could you imagine if all of a sudden you were in a burning building and it was... It was there was no chance for escape. You didn't even know how to get out of there. And all of a sudden, a fire rescue person comes running into the building. And they save you. And they bring you out into safety. And you just get some minor burns and singes of hair and some smelly clothes. But that firefighter, in order to go what they... To, to do what they did, ended up in the hospital with burns and with smoke inhalation and, and whatever it is. And, and, and you would go to visit that firefighter and you would be in tears of gratefulness and thankfulness for how he came, he or she came and saved your life and rescued you from, from, from what looked like death, looked like it was over. You would be so thankful and grateful and anything I could do, anything, I'm there for you. Would you do that? I'm sure you would. If someone saved or rescued your child in that way, you would do that. Well, what God has done through Jesus is even much greater than that. He has saved us, not from a burning building, but from hell, from a life of separation, from a life of looking for satisfaction, looking for thrills, and looking for this, and not finding it in other than God. And he comes, and he rescues, and he saves, and he redeems, and he forgives, and he gives us new life, and the promise of eternal life. He deserves worship core essential why we worship Jesus because he is God and because he is worthy look what he has done and so we worship Jesus in this way because he is God he is worthy has this happened in your life are you a true worshiper today has he saved your soul 
Have you turned to him for forgiveness of sins? Have you turned from your agenda? And you're walking his way. Are you a worshiper of God because of Jesus? And as we grow in Christ, our worship ought to grow as well. We understand more and more as we read his word, as we get an understanding of the depth of his holiness, his grace, his mercy, the depth, and, and, and then also the ugliness of our sin and, and rebellion and how in your own heart you continue to find these little corners, these little pockets, these closets, or maybe they're big disgusting closets of, of stuff, of, of your flesh, of your sin in your life. And, and, and yet he comes and he redeems and he cleans and he forgives us and he restores us in all of those ways, resulting in greater and deeper and more amazing worship. We should never stall up in our worship. Our worship as believers should only grow in, 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 in intensity and in love, in adoration and all that he's done. And now this Samaritan woman recognizes, oh, this is not some ordinary man. First of all, this Jew talking to a Samaritan. And then he tells her of things from her past that how would he know that? And so she realizes that this is a prophet. And then later at the end here of this part of the, the passage, Jesus reveals that he is the long-awaited Messiah. And instantly this woman feels the weight of her sin. She wants to get right with God. She wants to go and offer sacrifices at the temple seeking forgiveness. But she's confused. She's like, where do I go? How do I do that? She wants to connect with God. She wants to come clean. And yet she doesn't know how. And so this is the second core essential when it comes to worship. Write this down. It's how do we worship Jesus? How do we worship Jesus? In verse 20, this Samaritan woman brings up the age-old worship war scenario that they had been facing then. She brings up the old worship war of, was it hymns, and, hymns or choruses? Traditional or contemporary? Clap or don't clap or drums or no drums? That's not what she's bringing up, although I did come across this week in my sermon research, uh, this kind of comical um, slide here, a worship style chart. And um, it, 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 I mean, it, it, it is just so awesome. I mean, just take a look at some of these, you know. You have the elbow flap, you know, uh, moving to the carry the TV to go big screen, you know, a little wider. My fish was this big, hold, you know, or hold my baby, or Mufasa, or uh, the dueling light bulbs. Um, I mean, this just, I mean, Tim Hawkins just nails this here, right? You know, uh, the great theologian that he is. And, uh, you know, the pointer, the hatchet, the schoolroom, village people, Rocky, touchdown, all these different versions of, you know, so, so is that what we're talking about when we talk about different worship or worship styles? Is, is this what she's bringing up? You know what? There's a bit of a debate going on in the culture today. And how do we worship? I think we can take it off now. Good. We don't want people distracted. Um, her question, her worship war was not about style of hands or whatever it might be. But look at in verse 20. It says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's saying, my people, the Samaritans, we worship on Mount Gerizim, a very significant mountain in Israeli history, but... Up on that mountain, they were involved in some very, a very corrupted form of Judaism. She says, so we worship on Mount Gerizim, and the Jews worship on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So where, which is right, where should I go to worship? And Jesus, his response to her is that worship is not about a place, but worship is about a person and how you worship him. That it's not about outward actions or conformity or religious standards, by, but what worship springs forth in our life, what happens from the inside in verse 23, Jesus says to her, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him and God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do we worship Jesus? How do we worship him in spirit and in truth? Jesus is telling her, sooner, soon you're not going to need a temple or a mountain to go to. Soon you're going to be able to connect with God anywhere at any time. 
Worship him. You will soon be able to in spirit and in truth. Well, what does this mean? What does it mean to do this? And this is where both the Jews and the Samaritans were both getting it wrong. The Jews were supposed to worship at Mount Zion in Jerusalem at the temple. The Samaritans, they were corrupt. They were worshiping in this other place. But they both had it wrong when it came to worshiping truly in spirit and in truth. They were missing that both Jews and Samaritans were either missing one or both when it came to this important criteria for worship and how we're to worship. Worship for them was, and let's face it, it can easily become like this for us as well. Just as it was between the Jews and the Samaritans or the Jews in Jerusalem, it could easily become just routine. Externals, stand up, sit down, sing, move your lips, maybe clap your hands. Um, you go through the motions, you just kind of do it, no spirit, no life kind of thing. That, and that's the way the Jews were. But they were worshiping in truth. But it just become routine. It just came down. They had theology down. They had uh, location down. But their hearts were dead. They had truth, but they did not have spirit, a spirit that was alive. Or you can have emotion. You can have zeal. You can have passion. You might want to call it spirit when it comes to worship. And, and you know, like people at times say, oh, and then just the worship took over. And that can happen and that will happen. And that's awesome when it does take place. But are you worshiping based on truth? Or is it just emotion? Is it where you're just going for the tingles and a good feeling and lacking the truth in worship? You see, you can have a spiritual, if you want to call it, experience at a rock concert. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping an artist, a song, an emotion, a feeling, whatever it might be. But Jesus says that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. In verse 24, Jesus uh, tells us God is spirit, meaning God is holy, God is perfect, He is righteous, He's infinite, He's omnipresent, omniscient, He is all-powerful. We are not, we're none of those. That's the truth part. And more of the truth part is that, yes, we've been made in God's image, but we are sinful people. And as I described earlier, that when we come to Christ in a personal way, in a personal relationship. Our spirit is made alive. Our heart that was once dead now comes alive and it connects with His Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, and our spirits connect in relationship in accordance together in unity with God in this way. And we worship Him in spirit. Our spirit, little s spirit, from our inner being. And the more that I learn about God, the more I understand His mercy, His grace, the depths of His love, the more we want to praise Him. Charlotte and I, this June, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And man, it's amazing how time flies when, when you're having fun. And uh, now, now, what if around our 25th anniversary, she's not here, so I cannot ask her how she would take this. She's uh, working with Hope Kids today. But if I was to you know, come up to her and, you know, the evening that we're celebrating our 25th, we went out for a nice meal and, you know, what if I said to her, you know, Charlotte and Lutzer, I love you so much. You are a great wife and mother. Uh, you work hard. You are an amazing cook. You have lots of wisdom. I love the way you garden. I love to watch you in the garden. God has given you so much wisdom. I look forward to spending the rest of my life with you, uh, you cute little redhead wife of mine. <laughs> what I said there was all true. What was it lacking? Spirit. Or this. Oh, Charlotte, I love you so much. My... my, my beautiful brunette wife who I love spending early mornings, rising early in the morning with you over a Starbucks coffee and eating steak with me later in the day and then you golfing with me and having so much fun when you're watching me watch sports and and if any of you know her, you're like, she would be like, what are you talking about? Well, it's a lot more spirit-filled, isn't it? A lot more passionate. Um, it's just lacking truth. Well, that can easily happen when it comes to our worship. We can have lots of spirit and have an absence of truth, or we can have truth and an absence of heart. 
And Jesus is saying, true worshipers worship with a heart that is being changed, that has been changed, that is being transformed, that is becoming more like God, and it's connecting with His Spirit, and it's based on the truth of God's Word. And when you have that, you have true worship. And the more as we learn about God, the more we praise Him in our inner being, and the more that our corporate time in worship like this on a Sunday ought to come in a greater way with a heart and a mind that's engaged in worship. It's not just an intellectual thing, it's the heart. You see, we get our hearts so excited about so many different things, whether that be hobbies and sports and different things like that, you know, that's where we come alive. And yet when it comes to church, we're kind of like that first guy, but there's not even any movement going on in the arms, you know, in that picture we just saw when it comes to praise is rising. How does the rest of it go? Eyes are turning. Eyes are turning. Hope. This is, this is what it's going to look like. I know, because I turn around sometimes. Hope is stirring. stirring. Oh, need a coffee. Like, really? Really? Worshipping? Really? And that's sometimes how we sing, right? We're singing a great song. We're singing truth. We're just really lacking some, some spirit there. And... and I don't know the songs, you know, you might say, like, well, I don't know the songs. It's not my style, or I'm tired, I'm distracted. And there's good reasons for it. I'm not, and I don't turn around that often to love just sometimes. Um, you can say, I don't know the song. Well, you know what? I didn't know that extra part of holy, holy, holy today. But it sure was beautiful, and I sure was singing it, even though I didn't fully know where it was going, because, man, it was just singing truth. And by the second time around, I'm like, hey, I'm getting this. This is awesome. You know, and it's engaging ourselves. It's an act of worship in, in that way. And, and, and what if, what would our worship be like if all of a sudden, you know, we got a memo saying, hey, Brett, uh, don't lead worship today. Jesus is leading. He's going to come and he's going to lead here. He's going to play lead guitar. And, and some of his angels are going to come and play and sing and, 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 and do that. I mean... First of all, we would be here early if we put it in the e-news, right? It's just like, I gotta see this, I gotta, I mean, you'd even be coming for rehearsal probably once he, how, how did, he guess he wouldn't have to, right? It'd just be perfect. Uh, okay, so that don't work. Uh, you know, but, but Jesus, if, if Jesus was here, or, or if all of a sudden he came in and sat right beside you because there was an, uh, an empty chair for you to sit on. Praise God. Is that how we'd be singing if Jesus was leading worship, if Jesus was sitting next to you? No. But you know what? He is here. He is present. He sees. He knows. And, and he desires your worship, your praise, because we know when we get that right, everything becomes right. Because we get our eyes on him. Again, it's not about externals. It's not about a show. It's not about just, you know, looking engaged. It's, it's coming from within the heart. And part of the reason why we have a cross here every Sunday, this, this was built in our core group building day, in, in, when we were just building our core group, we, like, we need a cross. And not just because it's a nice little symbol, it's because it is to be a, a way to, to stir you, to remind you as you were worshiping the Lord, and, 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 and not necessarily always looking at the screen, if you know the words, not necessarily looking at the worship people. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's being reminded of His love, His grace. I mean, this symbol in and of itself of the cross is so meaningful, so huge for us. And, and, and just the thought of what he did for us on that cross sends us into songs of praise and, and appreciation and adoration. And so this is so important that, that we remember these things and, and that we are how we worship. We worship with spirits that are being changed and transformed and and, and that's why repentance is so important because what happens to our heart when we sin and when we allow stuff throughout the week or in our lives to corrode our heart and to kind of surround us with dirt and junk and that, it affects our worship that our spirit cannot connect with the Holy Spirit in that way. We're quenching the spirit because of our sin. We confess and we repent and he washes and he cleanses and, and our spirits are made anew and alive again. The third core essential of our worship is when and for how long do we worship? When it comes to worshiping Jesus, when and for how long? Well, here's the answer to this one. All the time and forever. 
We are to be worshiping all the time and forever. And that means daily, weekly, hourly, all the time. We are to train ourselves, grow ourselves, discipline ourselves to be people of praise, of, of, of worship, of trust, of adoration, of thanksgiving. And you see, what happens here on a Sunday doesn't mean you're walking around singing, you know, down the streets, praise is rising. You know, it doesn't mean that. But what happens on a Sunday is a corporate expression of the worship that's just been welling up in our heart throughout the course of the week. Just think of some of the events that you've been going through this past week. Are you worshiping through it or are you worrying through it? You have a choice in that. We need to train ourselves in the area of worship. We need to grow ourselves. You need to go to worship practice every day. Do we worship God in and through the circumstances or only in the good and not in the bad? Or are we allowing worry or are we stealing the worship away from God? We're allowing the praise and the adoration of people and even sometimes of our own thoughts to fall on us and not on the Creator. Thinking how awesome I am and people give you praise and you're like, yeah, yeah I'm good, aren't you? And you're, you're a glory thief there. You're stealing what God hit and how He's wired you. I mean, He could just drop you like this, right? Gone. Good. And he's allowing us to have life. And he wants us to, to get this right so we can be worshipers here on earth. So we will one day be, well, we'll get to that in a moment. But it's about training and growing ourselves in worship all day long. For example, I, I thought, okay, let's apply it to this next week or to this past week. As I mentioned already, emotional, exciting, hard time for us, but good time. And, and as we are taking our son to Saskatchewan, um, I mean, just here he is with a cousin um, that's going to school with him in front of the Saskatchewan. Uh, like, that's flat, isn't it? Just take a look at that middle picture. That is flat. Like, you can see your dog running away for three weeks and not even concerned. I mean, but, you know, and so as hard as it was and, 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 and difficult to say goodbye to him in this way, it was also awesome that we were able to connect with my parents who drove two and a half hours to spend an evening at a hotel with us and, and that Nate is there with a cousin. They've been talking and scheming about doing this Bible school plan for year, for a number of years. And, and so we're rejoicing even though our hearts are heavy and we know where he is, he's gonna get a solid foundation in his life that is gonna be so helpful for him down the road, whatever God calls him into. And, and, and because of that, even though again, hearts you know, saddened, we are able to spend some time with our daughter Clarice on the way there, on the way back, as she's in Calgary going to school there. And so a quick uh, shopping tour at Cross Iron Mills Mall for some, and, and me taking pictures of them. Uh, in that way and then and then you know I, I got to worship again and, and and at one point I'm like stop the car I wasn't driving stop the car stop the car because this I mean this just makes I mean oh. <laughs> oh. I mean he just doesn't get any better than that a com two combines going up and down the field and and I'm waving to them and they're like why is this guy taking you know like I have video footage of this because this does my heart well look at the land of living skies that blue oh I mean this just wells up not about the farm like what a great farmer it's like, God, this is so, like, so beautiful. The, 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 the harvest is ready. And the, oh, it's just, I mean, and it just causes you like, yes. And, and, and does it stop there? Or do I direct that to God? Giving God thanks for all of these different things. Um, thankful that while I was in the back seat and Charlotte was driving and I was working on my sermon, that the police that you see there in the um, picture um, came up from behind us, we were very thankful in giving praise to God that, that he didn't pull over Leadfoot Charlotte on that occasion, um, and that he decided to pull over the person who was going maybe, I guess, a touch faster in front of us, and there was a lot of praise and a lot of celebration as we zip by at a much slower, more conservative speed. Um, and then I was also very thankful that for where we get to live, and then knowing that one day these kind of pestilence will be dealt with, that in driving in Saskatchewan, your vehicle ends up looking like that, and that was nothing, that was only partway through the journey, and you know, and, and so, but, but all these things can turn to thanksgiving, to worship, and, and then our thanksgiving just doesn't land with being thankful, it's, it's to, to give it to God, it's, it's continuing to direct our worship, our praise, our thankfulness, our adoration for a blue sky, a harvest, being with family, how God's provision, how he takes care of us, that, that in all things, at all times, we are to worship. It's about ascribing worth to him, not just in the things I've described here, but even when it's difficult, when it's confusing. When we're confused and we're hurting and we're longing 
We're trusting, we're hurting, we're lonely, we're wondering what is going on. It's trusting and resting in the promises of God and turning even those situations, the dark hour of the night or during the day or the accusations that fly that come along and it's taken and it's trusting and resting the promises of God and say, I choose to trust. And as this happens, we grow in our worship and our confidence and our strength and, and, and we're worshiping it based on the truth of God's word and with hearts and, and, and spirit that you know, are, are being ignited on fire for God and he undertakes and he empowers and he fills. And when we are doing this throughout the course of the week, and as you practice worship all this next week and live a life of worship, I can't wait for next Sunday. Mm. As we gather together as worshipers who've been worshiping all last week, next Sunday isn't your put the, the booster cables on and boost you up again. Come in, boost it up. And if you're not because of the things that have been going on, we're, we'll, 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 try, we'll, we'll pray and we'll ask God to, to do that work in you and through all of our lives. And as this happens, God's power, His manifest presence is displayed. His worship is so important. And it's also something we are to do all the time, but then we're going to be doing it forever. And I remember as a kid hearing, we're going to worship Jesus forever in heaven. Like, boring. Like, really? We're going to just stand around? It's going to be like one big, long worship service? Well, we may have been told that. We may think that. But, you know, I've been in sporting events where I've heard the national anthem being sung with 30 or 70,000 people. And it's, like, amazing. I've been to concerts with anywhere from 10,000 to 20,000 people and, and, and worship times and worshiping the king of kings with 10,000 men at an event in Indiana one time. It was amazing in this, the, this conference center we were in and to hear, and I mean, the worship is like, cannot we, can't we just keep singing? This is just, can't we keep ascribing worth to God? So amazing. And, and, and just as those couple hours of worship just felt like seconds, well, that's what heaven is going to be like. And, and yet in so many different Different ways as we are in heaven and have our assignments and our explorations to do it's all going to be done in worship because we're just going to be so amazed at our glorious and our wonderful God and it's all in a heart of worship so in heaven we're going to be worshiping and so we might as well practice word here earth is preparation for that oh may we be people who worship Jesus Jesus alone and because he is God because he is worthy may we worship in spirit and in truth and be growing in our worship let's pray together God this morning now we understand that in order for this to really take, it, it begins by ensuring that we are truly yours, that, our, that we have confessed you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that if anyone is not here, uh, that is here today that has not done this, would they would do that today. They would confess their sin. They would repent. They would say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of living my own agenda, and I want to live your way. God, I surrender my life to you. And as they do that, God, their spirit comes alive. For the rest of us, would we be checking our spirits in the moment ahead as we partake of the Lord's Supper in a few moments? That you would do that good work in us and through us. We would prepare our hearts by confessing areas of, of sin and would your Holy Spirit reveal areas we need to make right. And so God, even now, would we be true worshipers, worshiping you in spirit and in truth?